the rule of thumb of how much money you're likely going to need to raise, it'll be approximately 30 to 35% of the total project costs. So you're going to have your LTV and you might have to put 20% down. Best ever listeners, I'm so excited to share today's sponsor with you. It's Eastern Union Funding and Arbor Realty Trust. If you're in the multifamily space, you likely recognize these names, but have you used them? Uh, I'm guessing if you haven't, then you probably know someone who has. I can tell you personally, we have used uh, Mark Belsky. He is a point person at Eastern Union Funding as a partner with us. And he has helped us secure debt uh, for actually a deal we closed on this month. And we've worked with him. Um, in addition, my clients, my program, my consulting program have worked with him to successfully close on deals. Uh, when we were starting out, Ashcroft was starting out, we had somewhat of a track record, but we weren't fully as established with our investor network. I went to him and we secured some equity, $500,000 in equity to fund one of our deals. While he works with more institutional partners, he's brought $200 million in equity over the last 12 months. He was able to help us out there and we built a relationship with him in Eastern Union funding ever since. So if you need equity for your deal and you have a track record, then he's your point person. His number is 212-897-9875. If you need debt, then he partners up with Arbor on a lot of transactions. So if you're a multifamily borrower who wants agency or bridge debt, then that's the team to work with. Uh, We have worked with their team, both Eastern Union and Arbor, on deals. And people who have purchased our deals, purchased deals from us, have used Arbor, as well as my clients in my consulting program, they've used it. So this is a recommendation that comes from firsthand experience. And the last thing I'll say about uh, working with Mark Belsky at Eastern Union is that if you need a loan guarantor, but don't have that track record quite yet, then Mark can look at what you've, the deal you've got And assuming it checks out, he can make introductions to people he knows as potential loan guarantors for your deal. So debt, equity, and potentially loan guarantors. Uh, All you need, well, you need to find a deal, obviously. Um, But besides that, you know, the other main components of the deal they can help you out with. So talk to Mark Belsky. His email is mbelsky at easterneq.com and his phone number 212-897-9875. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff. And today is follow along Friday. We're going to be talking about the fourth part of doing an apartment syndication. And if you are just joining us, then, well, we got three other conversations that I recommend you listen to. The first one was about the experience, how you get the experience you need in order to do a syndication. The second part is money, how you attract private money. The third is deal. How do you attract deals constantly to you? And then how do you run the numbers on those deals? And now the fourth You've successfully done the first three. You've got the experience. You got the money. You got the deals. Now, how do you actually execute? And before you can actually execute, well, you got to actually secure the money. 
And there are two main components of that. One is debt and the other is equity. So Theo and I are going to be talking about some ways to secure the debt and the equity and some things you should think about. And then yesterday, I got our book in the mail. And Theo, I'm so proud of this thing. Is this showing up on camera, Theo? Yeah, I can see it. There we go. Yeah. And for everyone listening on the podcast, well, we got a YouTube channel. You can see it. But it's something that will be very helpful for a lot of people who, well, I don't know about a lot of people because apartment syndication is a very narrowly focused business model. But for everyone who is doing apartment syndication, I'm confident that will be very helpful for you. So we'll kick it off today and start talking about getting the money. Exactly. So as Joe mentioned, at this point in the process, you have the deal under contract. And before you close on the deal, you need to do two things. Number one, you need to perform due diligence, which we're not going to talk about on this episode because we actually dedicated two podcasts to going over the due diligence, which is episodes 1116 and 1130. So the first one we go over, what due diligence document do you need to get? And the second one, we talk about how much it costs, which is important, of course. Nice work having those episodes handy, Theo. Appreciate <laughs> that. I learned from the best, Joe. <laughs> and then secondly, while you're doing that, you need to secure the financing for this actual deal. So typically when you think of real estate, you'll get a loan from the bank and then you yourself will fund the down payment. Well, since you're syndicating this deal, part of the money will still come from the bank and the other part will come from your passive investors. So in regards to securing finance from the bank, there's a couple of things you need to do in order to accomplish that. So this is when you are reaching out to the lender and asking them what type of loan program you can qualify for and whether or not you or the deal will qualify for financing. So there are four things you need to do. The first thing is you need to put together a biography. And this is a biography for yourself and for everyone else that's involved in the deals, your management company, if you have a mentor, anyone who's involved in a deal, a sponsor, they want to know who these people are, what their relationship is to you, what their background is, and how all those three together relates to the deal in question. Because one of the things that the lender will look at is the actual person they're loaning to, and they want to know that this person is going to be able to execute in the business plan so they can make their money back. So they want to know who's involved in the deal so that they can make that decision. So that's number one, the bios. Number two, they're going to ask you for the financial statements for the actual property. So it varies from lender to lender, but generally you're going to have to send them the historical profit and loss for the last 12 months to three years usually 12 months. And then they're also going to want a current rent roll for the property. Sometimes the lender might look at trailing three months for some things or the trailing one month for other things. But just in general, they're going to ask you for those two documents. And then they're going to essentially underwrite the deal themselves to make sure that going in, the debt service coverage ratio is above a certain threshold so that they know that you could cover the mortgage payments with the current income. And what are the thresholds that are typical? For agency debt, it's usually 1.25. So essentially what that means is that the NOI is 125% of the debt service. So they know that they're competent in your ability to pay back the debt service because you've got that 25% buffer between the NOI and the debt service. And then for bridge loans, sometimes the same, sometimes it's 1.1. It kind of just depends on the lender. So these are all things that you want to ask your mortgage broker or your lender because it varies. But for agency debt, it's usually 1.25. And what's agency debt? 
we're actually going to go into it in the second part. So that's number two. You need a profit and loss statement and a rent roll. Number three is they're also going to want your budget and your business plan. So they know how the property is currently operating, but they want to know how it's going to be operating after you take over the property and also what you plan on doing to the property. So as a value-add investor, what you're going to want to do is you're going to want to send them your stabilized expenses. You're going to want to send them your stabilized rents and revenue line items. And you're also going to want to send them your capital expenditure budget so they can review all of that and make sure that, again, once all those are done, are those such as accurate, number one? And number two, will you still be able to pay the debt service once the property is stabilized? So that's number three. And then finally, they're also going to want the personal financial statements from essentially everyone who's signing on the loan. So I actually went through this process a couple of weeks ago talking to mortgage brokers, and sometimes I want you to send it to them before you have a deal just to expedite the process. And it's just one less thing you have to do when you actually find a deal. But one of the benefits of doing it beforehand is you can see how much debt you qualify for and based off of your net worth and your liquidity. And if you can qualify for a $1 million loan, but your plan is to buy a $10 million property, then you're going to have to bring on a loan guarantor. And a loan guarantor is someone who meets those liquidity and net worth requirements. Usually it's their net worth equal to 100% of the loan balance and your liquidity is 10% of the loan balance at close. And you'll find that person and they'll sign the loan, help you qualify for the loan. And in return, you'll compensate them either a one-time fee at closing or a percentage of the general partnership, depending on the type of debt that's being secured. And or could be both. Yeah. And one thing to mention on the financial statements that are being submitted, not only for a loan guarantor, but anyone who has 20% or more ownership in the deal. So that's why as general partners, when we send the opportunity out to our private investors, we cap the amount that any one investor can invest at 19% of whatever the equity is. So for example, we've got a deal, the equity raise is 21.5 million. We capped it at a little over $4 million so that they stayed under the 20% trigger. What it does, it triggers the know your customer clause with the lender. And then they're underwritten and passive investors, at least our passive investors, don't want to go through that process because it defeats the purpose of being passive. Exactly. So for those four things that I mentioned, the bio, the biographies, the financial statements for the actual deal, your and or your loan guarantor financial statements, and then the budget and the business plan. These are all things that you want to at least discuss with your mortgage broker before you actually find a deal. You don't want to just do this after you find a deal and send them all the bios, send them all the financial statements. Also for your business plan and actual deal financial statements, you can send those to the mortgage broker beforehand as well. So they can tell you ballpark the type of debt you can qualify for. Most of the mortgage brokers I've spoken with have had no issue with me sending them all of these things as long as I don't do it for every single deal and never close on a deal. So got to keep that in mind too. And in addition to financial statements, you'll want to have your real estate owned schedule complete. And that basically shows how much real estate you currently own and shows the debt that you have on it, when you bought it, if it's an apartment building, what's the NOI, who's the loan with, when's the loan due, what percent ownership do you have in the deal, and ultimately what your equity is worth in that mm-hmm. deal. So you're going to be asked that. So you, you might want to have that prepared now 
then just add to it and update it whenever you do get a deal. Also, from a liquidity standpoint, they're going to want to see a bank statement within the last 60 days Mm -hmm. that shows whatever your liquidity is. So if you know you're going to be buying a property in the next four to five months, just keep that in mind that you're going to need to provide a bank statement for the last 30 to 60 days of whatever you have. And that's what you're going to be showing them whenever you close. So if you need to be more cash heavy during that period of time, then approach accordingly. Exactly. So that's the first part of the financing is the debt from a lender. And the second portion is going to be the money you raise from your passive investors. So a rule of thumb of how much money you're likely going to need to raise, it'll be approximately 30 to 35% of the total project costs. So you're going to have your LTV and you might have to put 20% down for the actual loan, but you might have to raise additional money for the acquisition fee, for the operating account fund, for closing costs, financing fees. If you have to pay for innovations out of pocket, raise money for that. So a good rule of thumb is 30 to 35% of the total project costs. Now, There are actually two main types of equity that you can raise. I guess these are two different ways you can structure with your investors. So number one is the equity, which is the most common. And that is when you raise capital from passive investors, you offer them a preferred return and they will participate in the upside of the deal. So there will be some sort of profit split where they will make a percentage of the sales proceeds. That's number one. And number two, there's also a different kind that is similar to actual debt. And in this situation, you'll raise money from passive investors, but they won't participate in the upside of the deal, just like a lender doesn't pay in the upside of the deal. Instead, they will receive a higher ongoing return. I've actually learned that it's called a coupon rate. And essentially, they'll get an interest rate on their money for a specific period of time, whatever you agree to. And then once that period of time is over, you will return the capital to them, whether it's through a refinance or a supplemental loan. And then you as a syndicator own the deal free and clear. Now, from my understanding, talking to a few mortgage brokers, you can either do one or the other. So you can either have all equity or all debt. Usually the debt works better if you only have a handful of investors that are investing a lot of money, as opposed to someone who's investing 50 grand. But you could also do a combination of the two. You could have the majority of the capital come from a debt investor, let's say 80-90%. And then the remaining 10 to 20% can be equity investors where you raise 50 grand here, 100 grand here from people to fill up the remaining equity. So basically what I'm saying is that there's a limited ways that you can structure these types of deals. So make sure that you are having a conversation with your investors so you know what types of returns they want and what type of structure they want. And also have a conversation with your attorney who's going to be creating this operating agreement between you and your investors. Because if they are an apartment syndicator specialist, which they should be, they will have experience creating all types of operating agreements and they can give you an understanding of how to approach it. I actually had a conversation with a couple of real estate attorneys this past week and they recommended that we start simple and just start doing the equity where we offer a preferred return and then upside in sale. But as we grow, we could create more and more complicated deal structures based off of if you have one big investor or we find a certain type of deal, things like that. I just wanted to mention that before we get into actually how to secure the capital and the process for doing so. So the process for securing capital, we have a four-step process for doing so. The first step after you have a deal under contract 
is to create an investment summary. So, an inv- oh, you paused because that was my cue to start talking, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll talk about this. But you said you're going to mention agency debt and bridge debt, mm. and you didn't talk about it. So, can you quickly define those two and talk about it? Yeah. So, agency debt is essentially permanent long term financing. So, this is debt from Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac, and the terms can be five, seven, 10, or 12 years. And this is the set it and forget it debt. So you'll get your debt. You'll have preferably a fixed interest rate. Sometimes it might be floating. You'll have a specified LTV and debt service coverage ratio. You'll get your loan and you won't pay the same payment for the length of the term. Unless, of course, you get interest only, which means you'll pay paying a little bit less up front. The point is, is that this is a loan that's longer term in nature. So based off of how long you plan on holding the property, you're going to get you're going to make sure that your loan term is longer than that. So if you plan on holding for five years, you want a loan that's five or more years, seven years, seven or more years. A bridge loan, on the other hand, is shorter term in nature. So they can be as low as six months and up to three years. And then you'll usually have an option to buy extensions of six months to one year extensions. So it is possible to extend it out up to five years. But essentially, you're going to get a bridge loan when the deal doesn't qualify for permanent financing. So if you remember what I mentioned earlier, it needs to have a debt service coverage ratio of 1.25. And it needs to have a, I can't remember exactly what it is, but it needs to have a certain occupancy rate. I can't remember exactly what it is. It might've been 80 to 85%, but it needs to be above a certain economic occupancy rate or it won't qualify for permanent financing. And that's the case that your other option is a bridge loan, which is shorter term in nature. It'll allow you to cover the renovation costs. And so instead of it being an LTV, a loan-to-value loan, it'll be actually be a loan-to-cost loan. So you'll figure out what the purchase price is plus all the capital expenditures, and then they'll fund a percentage of that. And then they'll provide you with withdrawals and renovations along the way. But essentially, the main difference is the length. So the agency debt are longer-term in nature. And then number two is the types of deals that qualify for this financing. So if the deal is essentially stabilized, you can qualify for agency debt. If not, bridge loan is your other option. Yeah, and interest rates will be higher for bridge loans. Your leverage can be lower for bridge loans. So if you were reckless and you just wanted to juice your return, so increase your returns as much as possible for every single deal, you just do interest-only bridge loans. you look to exit out in two years and then you just keep doing that. But the problem is they're riskier and you really should do them just for value add deals. The one way they're riskier is let's say you are doing renovations and your renovations are not going as planned. Well, there are certain loan covenants with any loan, things you have to adhere to during the course of ownership in order to continue to be in good standing with the lender. And with a bridge loan, as Theo mentioned, you are not receiving the CapEx funds at the beginning, but rather you're receiving them in draw periods, just like a fix and flipper would receive it from a private money lender. They show that they did the work, send pictures, and show reports and proof of the work being done, and then you get reimbursed. Well, on an apartment community, if things aren't going as planned or you have a downturn in the economy or whatever takes place, any number of circumstances can take place, 
and your occupancy dips below a certain level or your debt service coverage ratio dips below whatever level or collections dips below a certain level, whatever the covenants are in place with the lender, well, guess what? They're not going to send you the money to reimburse you for the work that you've done. And that's a huge problem for you. And you're going to have to either front the money or you're going to have to do a capital call or you're going to let the project sink. So there's more risk involved with a bridge loan, significantly more risk. So while you can get higher returns, there's significantly more risk involved. So you'll want to be very judicious with how you pick your loan options. Exactly. And you are able to get some capital expenditures covered in agency debt. Essentially what they do is they'll, again, provide you a loan as low as 1.25 debt service coverage ratio. So if at the current purchase price without including renovations, it's above that, then you can increase the size of your loan until it hits that 1.25. And then whatever extra you have on top above the purchase price can go towards renovations. That's how you can get around funding at least a portion of your renovations with agency debt. Whereas for the bridge loan, they'll just do it based off of the loan to cost. There is a debt service coverage ratio requirement. I think it's 1.1. So it's much lower because they understand that deals distress and that's why it's going to increase over time, which is why it's important that you have a solid business plan to show them. But it is possible to have renovations covered with agency debt too. Cool. And now on the equity side, real quick, equity side, the process for securing the capital, because Theo just talked about debt and now there's equity to secure with your private investors, four-step process for securing the capital. This assumes, by the way, that you've already done the legwork to cultivate your network, your position as a thought leader, you have the team in place to have the credibility and the experience to execute on the business plan. So this assumes all those other things are in place. Now you've got the deal, and what do you do? Well, you create an investment summary. There are many things you can include in the investment summary. They're the legal documents, which are the private placement memorandum, the operating agreement, the subscription agreement, and a couple other things. They will have all the details and then some. It's going to be probably over 100 pages whenever the attorneys are done. Sources and uses, the distribution priority, spelled out in detail, etc. So you don't have to replicate those legal documents, but instead just put in the relevant things, which is basically the deal, the market, and the team, the good things, and any ways you're mitigating risk for each of those three. So just think about it that way, the deal, the market, the team, what are the relevant things I need to know at the very beginning of the investment summary, have a snapshot of the opportunity with the projected returns and what the offer is to them. So what are they investing in? And then go into deal market team. So number one is create that investment summary. Number two is notify investors of the new deal and a conference call. Number three is host a conference call and send the recording to the investors afterwards. I use freeconferencecall.com. The reason why I do a conference call instead of a webinar is multiple reasons. One, I want to be more of a conversation, not a presentation. I want investors to be able to have the information they need in advance. That's why I send the investment summary prior to the call. And then it should be more of a, okay, 
you've got the information. Now let us just talk about the deal and the opportunity. I don't want to present something to anyone. I just want to have a conversation about it. Number one. Number two is with a conference call, I can be in my office in a t-shirt versus I got to dress up. I don't like dressing up. So that's another reason why I do a conference call versus something like a webinar. So one, investment summary. Two, notify investors of a new deal and of the conference call. Three is host a call. I do freeconferencecall.com. And then you can record it. Make sure you record it and send out a link to the recording afterwards. Do a Q&A session at the end of the call too with investors. That way you answer all their questions and others can hear the questions that are being asked and the responses. Number four is secure commitments. Obviously, right? You got to secure the commitments. And how you do that is you just tell them first come, first serve, and then... At the beginning of Ashcroft, I had to follow up with investors because we didn't have as many investors. So what I did is I asked them at the very beginning, I said, hey, here's a deal we're doing. Reply this email if you'd like the investment package. That way, once they emailed me asking for the investment package, I knew who I had to follow up with if I didn't hear back from them about investing. Now don't need to do that because we have so much demand. I can just send out the investment package in the initial email and then whoever invests, invests and whoever doesn't, doesn't. And I don't have to follow up with anyone. So at the beginning, you might have to be a little bit more in tune with who you're following up with. But as your business grows and as you perform, most importantly, then you won't have to do that. So that's the four-step process. Perfect. So once you've got the capital secured, the financing secured and the due diligence performed, you close on the property. And then at that point is when you implement your business plan. So for those remaining steps to learn more about those, purchase the book, best ever apartment syndication book, or go to apartmentsindication.com. And we've got blog posts on everything we talked about today, as well as blog posts on closing and the asset management duties and how to sell the property at the end of your business plan. And this week still, it's the first week of launch. So when you buy it, email your receipt to info at joefairless.com and we'll get you a bunch of free goodies, which include a couple eBooks. One from Gene Trowbridge, who wrote a book on syndication from a securities attorney standpoint and a bunch of templates and things like that that we send over to you. Absolutely. So besides the book being launched, which is definitely a huge accomplishment. I'm very excited about this. It's been a really fun week. One uh, year. One it's been one year too. Yes, it has been. <laughs> we've been working on this puppy for one year. Yeah. Do you have any other updates? Yeah. We've got a couple deals that we're working on, closing on one at the end of this month, closing on another in mid-November. Then separate from that, I play softball. I've been on the same team for three years. And the captain of the team, his girlfriend is a real estate agent. And she asked me if I had any insurance broker contacts for a challenging deal that she's working on. And I gave her the person I work with and she contacted him. And because apparently she's working on a deal, it's just a six unit deal that had some insurance challenges and the seller ended up backing out. Well, it's a deal that is $130,000. And I said, send me the deal and I'll forward it to someone who I know and be happy to help you out. That's it. Well, she sent it over to me $130,000 is the purchase price, good condition, and the rents in total is $2,665. And I was like, what? <laughs> the 2% rule, I mean, that's, yeah. that's incredible. I was like, wait a second, okay. This is a really, really, really good deal. So I sent it over to my friend who represented 
Colleen and I on a transaction locally. And he comes to my meetup every month. And we play poker with our investor group every month. So I've gotten to know him really well. And I said, hey, here's a deal. If you want it, great. And if you want to partner up on it, I'd be open to partnering up. And I know I've said in the past that I'm not looking to do smaller stuff. So we ended up moving forward. The way I structured it with him is I'm only funding the deal. That is my responsibility. So it's going to be about $30,000 out of pocket. I'm going to put in the deal and he's going to work on get the loan. Obviously, I'm going to have to submit some financials for the loan and that's going to be a little bit of a hassle. But other than that, I'm passive and he is going to manage it. And how we structured it is it's going to be 50-50. And the first $30,000 or whatever my final total ends up being that comes out of the property goes to me. And then after I get all my money back, then the profits are split 50-50. And I thought that's a good way of structuring it. So I'm still passive and I'm not focused on it because that's my most important thing is I don't want to have focus shift from what I'm doing with apartments to something else. But if I can invest some money into a, a smoking deal and I can still be, remain passive, and by the way, he says it's worth $200,000 right now. So we got 70K in equity at closing. Now, I don't know, plus or minus 10K or, or so, I'm sure. But that's a way that I'm still keeping my focus on apartment syndication and Ashcroft Capital, but then also on the side doing a deal and how I structured it, I wanted to share because perhaps other listeners who are in a similar position where they want to remain passive but want to still build a portfolio and you come across something or someone you know comes across something smaller, structure it that way. So essentially it's a 0% interest loan that I'm giving to the LLC that we're buying the property with and then the first money out, it goes to me. Where in Cincinnati is it located? New Richmond, which is okay. in flood territory, which is the challenge with the insurance. So we're still determining if the insurance is going to be a deal breaker or not. So we're not sure if we're moving forward yet, but it is under contract. And then we'll see if things work out. And he's working on all that stuff. I'm not focused on any of that. That's a solid deal. I'm sure the insurance is a little bit higher, but the gross rents are as much as the gross rents were at my fourplex, which I bought for 220. So yeah, my eyes went like saucers whenever I saw that. I was like, all right, maybe it's worth a couple <laughs> conversations. Well, congrats on that, Joe. Well, we'll see what happens. But I thought it was interesting to share how we structured it so that it's a win-win for both. Perfect. All right. Well, to wrap up, usually we do the best ever podcast review of the week. But since it's launch week for the book, I figured it'd be apt to do a book review of the week. So make sure you guys and girls pick up the <laughs> a copy of the book on Amazon. It is best ever apartment education book. And if you like the book and it's valuable, uh, please leave a review for your opportunity to be the review of the week to be read aloud on the podcast. The first ever book review of the week is from CEM Smiley One, who said a must read for anyone interested in syndication. And their review was this book truly goes step by step through the entire process of apartment syndication. There's a lot of information, but the material is put into layman's terms as best as can be done, and the material included within each chapter is clearly outlined, which I think will be extremely helpful for referencing. It's not necessarily an easy read due to so much info, but a must-have book on your shelf if you are truly interested in getting into multifamily syndication. 
Well, that's my wife, so we can't use that review as a book. <laughs> oh, is it really? <laughs> yeah, that's Colleen. So, Colleen, thank you for the props on that. It is an authentic review, so I'm okay telling you that's my wife. <laughs> but we'll use another one because she did read every single word in that book, and she helped us during the editing process. Let's read another one. Let's read uh, Ellie. Great book, valuable content, exclamation mark, verified purchase, this Amazon review. And she says, I cannot recommend this book enough. I read Joe's previous books and enjoyed them a lot. This one is by far the best, all caps, one filled with valuable advice from people who made it in real estate, including the author Joe. Step-by-step method to start an apartment syndication is well laid out. The book will teach you how to build your brand, team, and network. Very well written and fun to read. Already looking forward to the next one. The next one. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't know about the next one on this. This was a year-long process and then some. Hi, Ellie. Thank you so much for that thoughtful review. Really appreciate it. And Colleen, thank you so much for your thoughtful review. Really appreciate that. And everyone, thanks for hanging out with us and talk to you tomorrow. Do you need debt for your deal, equity for your deal, or maybe a loan guarantor to help you get qualified for the financing Talk to Mark Belsky. His number is 212-897-9875. That's 212-897-9875. His email is mbelsky at easterneq.com. What is square, made of metal, and has half the operating costs of apartments? It might just be real estate's best kept secret. Learn more and get a free one-on-one strategy session from the experts at You Don't Know Self Storage. You can find them at ydkselfstorage.com forward slash best ever.